Love Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 30, a.k.a. the body bag episode of the No Look Pass podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, a.k.a. my mom's favorite son who can't believe Andy convinced me to record during Grey's Anatomy reruns, but it's wrong with this guy. Speaking of which, my co-host, Andy Flynn, is with me. Flintmo, what's good? Man, I just need to give a uh, shout-out to Steph Curry. Uh, in the words of Wayne and Garth, we're not worthy. We are definitely not worthy, and we are going to get right into Steph at the beginning of the show, and then we are going to say our goodbyes to the Atlanta Hawks as we do every week during the playoffs. We kind of fair, uh, give a, the departed message to our farewell teams. And then we're going to sort of go into the remaining two series, um, OKC in San Antonio and Miami-Toronto. And we also have a topic that we really want to discuss that I think Andy and I are pretty sure we're going to disagree on, which is uh, Kawhi Leonard or Draymond Green. I'll just leave it at that. We'll get into it later. But first, we start with the outlet pass. It's the first pass in any fast break, so it's the first pass on our show. The MVP MVP'd last night. He went off. Steph Curry led the Warriors to an overtime win against the Blazers with, I believe, 17 points in overtime. Um, I'm curious what you think of two things, though. It's unsteph-related. The Sean Livingston ejection, I don't know if you saw it, but my man Scott Foster gave him the double T, which is a rare occurrence in the NBA. Usually once you get one T, you're able to at least uh, get get some get your rocks off a little bit before you get the second T. And then your boy, I, this is I know what you want to talk about, your boy Draymond after the game essentially saying the series is over, these dudes are done, was his words, uh, about the trailblazers. So just give me your quick thoughts about, about the goon Draymond and the uh, Sean Livingston ejection there. I mean, Draymond is the best kind of goon, and I call him a goon in the most endearing way possible. Um, If you're going to have a goon on your team, he says smart stuff. I mean, I can't even fault the guy, and I I agree with him. I mean, you're supposed to have that mindset of, you know, like Ivan Drago, I must break you. Sean Livingston, I feel like that was kind of directed towards Draymond Green. Like these referees, you know, I mean, not necessarily Draymond, but he's the most emotional guy on the court usually, and – I just feel like Livingston to be the guy to get the double T made no sense to me because it's, it's Sean Livingston. Like he's like the quietest guy on the court, generally speaking. So I, I didn't get, I think they're, they're coming for you, Draymond. So you better be careful. Possibly the most mild mannered player in the entire league, Sean Livingston, by the way, uh, you're completely correct. As far as Draymond goes, I, I agree. You know, it, it, it's sort of like, we talk about this when we talk about players thinking that they're better than other guys. Like I firmly believe that Jamal Crawford believes he's like a top five player in the league to this day. He'll be like 39 and still think that he can like cross up Steph Curry any day of the week. But that's, I think people would be surprised how many players actually believe that they're the best player in the league or that they're better than guys that we clearly know that they're not better than. Because like you're saying, that's the mindset you have to have as an athlete. You just sort of have to believe irrationally sometimes that you are better than your opponent because that's the only way that you're going to be able to muster the energy and the confidence to perform and possibly beat them. You know, if you just go into the game, like if Draymond was just like, nah, man, like every every game, you know, he gives like that speech, you know, every game separate, blah, 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 blah. He's like, Draymond's like, no, we're the best. And that's what we do. We're up 3-1. They're not beating us twice at home because we haven't even lost two games at home the whole season. How how are we going to lose two games at home to this team? So I, I agree. I'm buying it, uh, and I agree with you that Draymond perfectly appropriate, and the Sean Livingston ejection was just atrocious. But let's move on, uh, get some Warriors bars off if you need to, but we're going to move on quickly to the the departed. Uh, The Atlanta Hawks swept 
by the Cleveland Cavaliers, not quite going the seven games in which I predicted it, and uh, Willy Wonka would like a word. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. So good day to the Atlanta Hawks. Andy, what, what do you think for the future of this team? They got a few free agents, some some variables definitely going on with this team. How do you think it's going to fare for them in, in the future here? I mean, in the last time we spoke and we gave our, you know, Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jack Nicholson bars, we spoke about all these teams that I was kind of excited for their futures. Atlanta, I'm, yeah. I'm not so much. Like, it, it's – they're they're lacking that one thing. I almost am in the position where I feel like maybe, uh, you know, a no go on Al Horford's future is maybe the best thing because I, I just we we're in this transition period in the NBA, especially with big guys, and I I almost feel that at you know twenty I think Al Horford's twenty nine or thirty years old, so he's going to command, he's going to want that contract. You know, he knows he's getting there to the point where he's only going to have another big contract left at this point. And, you know, I think he's going to command a lot of money. Kyle Korver's still 5 million on the books and he's, you know, not the Kyle Korver. He was a couple of years ago. He made the shooting the three pointers. Cool. Steph Curry and Clay Thompson were like, here, thanks. We'll take that. Go sit over there. Um, I, I do, you know, the guard thing, the point guard with, uh, with Dennis Schroeder and both Jeff Teague is, is a promising thing, but I almost feel like that. And Paul Millsap's inconsistency to play like he's worth $20 million is, is tough too. Um, I, I do, however, think Millsap does a lot of things that don't necessarily show up in the box score, but this team needs a star, man. They need like a, a guy to dump the ball to. Maybe they, they might need like a Carmelo Anthony. They need somebody who can just score points while they figure out the rest of it. That That's an intriguing name for them. You, and I think it gets to sort of what you're saying is they really don't have a crunch time guy. You know, it, it's it's sort of how we, when we think about teams like, I think the Spurs really started this, like all oh, the team that doesn't have a superstar. They're just like a team. And the thing that we forget when we talk about the Spurs in that fashion is that they also happen to have three Hall of Famers on their team during those years. It's not like they were just some team, just some bums they put together and, and happened like pop just like waved the magic wand hit magic wand Harry Potter style and all of a sudden they're just like this star team like these guys are Hall of Fame players and we when we talk about teams like that like the Spurs have a Tim Duncan that can score in the post in, in crunch time in his prime you know they have Tony Parker that can get to the rim um, and these guys are big time performers and I think what you're finding with the Hawks is they they have like all those minor components of, of the Spurs team of that Spurs team where they got the ball movement they they play very good defense, very good team defense, maybe not elite team defense like the Spurs do, but a very minor fashion of it. But they're missing that one major component, the fact that they don't have that guy that can go out. There's there's two minutes left. We need, And I think we've seen that in the playoffs so far, you know, like a Dwayne Wade, for example. Even a guy passes prime, I think we can all agree, Dwayne Wade still has that key to him. He's still willing his team to win because when there's a minute and a half left, you give Dwayne Wade the ball you have about 90%. You're, you're going to be surprised if, a, if the shot doesn't go in when Dwayne Wade's taking it in crunch time. And I think that's something that the Hawks are missing, which is why I think Melo is sort of a creative name in that sense because with all of his flaws, I think that most people do believe Melo has some sort of that component to his game. But I agree. I, I think that when we look back at this team, we're going to feel like that 60-win season last season was sort of the peak the peak of the Atlanta Hawks era of, of this sort of makeup of the team, and I think is going to be last season in retrospect. 
Yeah, and I, and I think if you look at the roster, too, now that I have it pulled up, this just screams of, like, a roster that's ready to win a championship, but they're missing the X fact that one player or the duo. Like, this is the kind of team that you would see, you know, that's built up around, like, a 35-year-old sharpshooter, Kyle Korver, um, uh, Tiago Splitter, who, you know, was injured and didn't get to play, but he's on this roster. And, you, you know, you have, like, the Tim Hardaway, and Bazemore and, and Tabo Sapolosha, these players, like th- these are the, these glue players have a lot of that, but it's like the Millsap, yeah. uh, the Millsap Jeff Teague thing. We thought one or both of them were going to be the guy. And it just, it's almost like everybody's too afraid to be the guy. And, and I really was wanting to call Jeff Teague ice water after the, the playoff thing a couple of years ago. And, and he had his moment, but I feel like Teague's regressed some, and maybe that's to do with Schroeder. Uh, Schroeder, I, I, I don't know, but who knows? Atlanta's in trouble. Yeah, it, it all also seemed like the Jeff Teague thing was sort of, for some reason, like the team just seems to like Jeff Schroeder or Dennis Schroeder better than, than Jeff Teague. It seems like the coaching staff really has a lot of faith in Dennis Schroeder. And I think that that's sort of one of those things where it might be more of a chemistry thing than maybe Jeff Teague's actual game affecting him. Like, I think Jeff Teague might be one of those guys that when he moves on, and I think he will, maybe even this offseason or next season or something like that, I think he'll be better maybe in a more complimentary role for one, but also with just a change of scenery. And I don't know what it is about Schroeder's game that it seems like really um, intrigues the, the coaching staff more than Teague's game, but it definitely does seem like that's what happened in Atlanta. But we're, we're going to move on from the Atlanta Hawks. Hopefully we're wrong, you know, about their future. You know, they, they are a very talented team, so hopefully they, they prove us wrong. Paul Millsap turned into a superstar. That would be fantastic. I, I like watching the team and they have a special place in our heart because they were the first team that we did while you were watching TNT. That was the first team we watched. So uh, definitely well wishes to Atlanta. But we're going to move on to the teams that are still in it. Uh, OKC, San Antonio, uh, Miami, Toronto are the two series we want to focus on. Like Draymond Green, we kind of feel like Portland is those dudes are done. It's over. Um, And obviously Cleveland Cavaliers have already moved on. The first question I want to ask you about these two series together, and then we'll sort of break them into each one, is who do you think – because both series are tied to you too. Who do you think has a better chance of moving on in terms of three seeds? Do you think it's the Miami Heat upsetting the Toronto Raptors, or do you think that it's the Thunder upsetting the Spurs? I, I um just because they're playing a very shaky opponent. Um, I, I feel like the gap between the two teams before even the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs. I mean, the gap between the Raptors and the Heat was much smaller, I, I feel like, than the Spurs and the Thunder, even though I do like the Thunder and the Thunder are playing very well, but I I still think it's it's gotta be it's gotta be Miami. They have to have the better shot. I, I, I agree. You know, I, I posted this question on our Twitter account at NLP Podcast, by the way, you should, if you're not following you should be. And Miami Heat, we got about 60 votes, and it was Miami Heat about two-thirds. But I posted it in other groups, uh, the Sports Overtime group on Facebook. Those, those are the homies. You know, I always, you know, we chop it up with them all the time talking sports. And, you know, they, there was really a lot of people, you know, a few people on there that felt like the Thunder really had the better chance. And it, it's sort of uh, you, you kind of have to balance because the Thunder are obviously a better team than the Heat individually. Like, if you put the Thunder against the Heat, it would probably be a five-game series, in my opinion, and I think OKC would win. But what you're saying is is the point. It's it's really more about the Raptors. I think the Raptors are sort of like the X factor in this equation of, of when assessing this question. is It's because you, you would be surprised if the Spurs lost two games at home. You would not be surprised if the Raptors lost two games at home. 
And I got to the point when we talked about it, when, when we were re- uh, reviewing it or previewing the series, where I said that if the Heat lose, I'll be surprised. And I still feel that way, even even though it's a three-game series right now. If the Heat, if the Raptors were to defeat the Heat in seven games or six games, I would be surprised because right now I feel like Miami is in the driver's seat. Yeah, I I mean I wasn't convinced quite as much so as you going into the series. I did pick the Heat as well. Um, I I don't necessarily feel like I would have been or will be shocked if Toronto does win the series. I, I almost feel like it can go either way. Although Toronto, that's not a pass for you, so you're not supposed to go in with like a fifty fifty chance. But I mean that's that's besides the point. I I just feel like they it, it's it's really one thing to me at this point. For a while it was kind of the two guys Lowry and DeRozan. Now to me like I've just taken issue with with Kyle Lowry. I mean. 15, 15 points a game in the playoffs to me is disgusting enough for Kyle Lowry because I feel like this is a guy who could be scoring like more like 25 a game in the playoffs. This, this is like he's supposed to be, you know, your guy. 33% from the field. He's not even shooting 20% from deep. I mean, and he's, he's still getting his shots. He's shooting six and a half threes a game, but he's making, you know, less than one and a half of those. So I just feel like Lowry, my dude, my, my Villanova dude, I just don't know what you're doing. But you got people questioning if a 10-point guard. I was having that discussion today, too, one of these many discussions I have without you, Frank. But I, I just yeah, – I, I don't know. know. I, I, feel like, I feel like for me, the Thunder are playing their best basketball right now against the Spurs. The Spurs, despite, you know, the 2-2 thing with the Thunder, I think are playing their best basketball. I think Miami's playing as best they possibly can. But Toronto is just like this team that's like, eh, you know, I, I don't know. And I don't know what to expect out of them night in and night out. Let's not exactly give DeMar DeRozan a pass here because he has been atrocious as well. And, you know, and I think it is one of those things where I do often feel like, even watching them successfully as well as in their failures, that they really are two guys that is Lowry and DeRozan that kind of feed off of each other. So it seems like when one guy is struggling, the other guy is more prone to struggle as well. And I think you actually have the opposite effect when you look at the Golden State uh, dynamic with Curry and Thompson because it seems like when one guy's struggling, the other guy is more prone to pick up the slack, and that's they kind of like work off of each other, and that's how they get back in rhythm. You know, when Steph is off, it's sort of like Clay takes the reins, and he's like, "Come on, Steph, come with me." And Steph's like, "Oh yeah, let's go." You know, now I'm back into it. Um, but it seems like with with Toronto, it's almost like DeRozan struggles, and then Lowry's like, "Oh man, I don't know what to do without this guy." You know, that's my dude. So. You know, it, it almost seems like they need each other to be successful. So when one guy fails, the other guy is going to fail as well. And I think uh, Valanciunas, and this is the next thing I want to get into, is you know, the loss of the two centers in the series and which one sort of means more. We kind of briefly had this discussion uh, via Facebook the other day. Um, I, I feel like they can't really replace Valanciunas, and I feel like it's a big loss for them. But I think they would be more likely to replace Valanciunas's offense, and I mean Bismack Biyombo for some reason in like the random playoff NBA thing is just playing out of his mind. It's like the NBA playoffs are so weird because there's just like, oh, okay, Bismack Biyombo is going to be a double double guy now, I guess. And but I think they would be more prone to replace his offense than Miami is going to be able to replace Whiteside's defense. And I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, you said that yesterday, and I I couldn't actually agree more. Um, you know, and the thing about uh, Valanciunas is, too, is oftentimes I feel like you could watch a few 
series, you know, back and forth. And it's almost as if like Lowry and DeRozan don't even really want to play with them. He doesn't get the ball enough. And that's, that's another thing. That's kind of another part of my problem with Toronto. Uh, And you brought up Golden State. The big difference there is the ball moves in Golden State. The ball doesn't move in Toronto unless it's going to and from Lowry and DeRozan. And and you're right, they do feed off each other in that sense because if one of them is not scoring, the other one has to try to do all the scoring, and it just backs everything up. But uh, back to the Valanciunas-Whiteside debate, I I think it's pretty clear that Whiteside's defense is just – utterly irreplaceable. There's there's only a handful of guys in the league who can replace that kind of defense. As far as Valanciunas, I think you can get 15 points in a few different places. Uh, you might not protect the rim as much. He's a seven-footer. He's a big guy. But at the same time, in, in this NBA, I feel like a, a guy who might not have an offensive game, but he's a shot blocker, a hustle type player, is going to be more valuable than a polished guy who can score a hook shot in the post, uh, you know, such as uh, things that Valanciunas can do. So I'm always going to go to the trend, and, and Whiteside's build is the trend today. Yeah, when you say that only five guys can replace us on Whiteside, I'm pretty, I'm going to go with pretty good confidence that Amari Stoudemire is not one of them to replace the defensive <laughs> intensity on, on your team. You know exactly go, oh, wow, we need it. We really need a defensive presence. Yo, stat, stat, get off the bench. Come on in. We, we really need your uh, your defensive expertise here. So I think you also, you, you made a good point when you're talking about how they rely on each other, Lowry and DeRozan, as far as moving the ball. And I think that's where you really seen Corey Joseph has sort of become the go-to offensive option on this Raptors team in crunch time because he knows how to make a right decision. He knows when to kind of, you know, when when they do the pick and roll, you know, if somebody, the big guy sets the pick, he knows when to come come around the pick and shoot that jumper or to when he get, draws the double team to sort of pass it out and get the ball moving. And I, I think we've really seen, like, the, the, the benefit of having a guy that just knows how to make good decisions. And I think that we've – in, in watching Corey Joseph, you've sort of seen the flaws of Kyle Lowry, how he can't make a similar decision, even though he is a better player. So to, to wrap up, who are you sticking with the Miami pick? Because I most certainly am sticking with my, with my Miami pick that I made before the series started. But how about you? Are you sticking with the Heat, or you think the Raptors can pull it off? Yeah, no, I'm I'm sticking uh, I'm sticking with the Miami Heat. I, I don't know what the Raptors and, you know, Dwayne Casey and Mike Woodson and – Mike D'Antoni and all these guys who only know how to run like one ISO play in basketball are doing, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. If I, I got to watch Miami. one more possession where, where the Raptors dribble the clock until like there's six seconds left and then like just set a pick and that's, that's their play. I'm just going to throw my TV out the window. I can't imagine being a Raptors fan, <laughs> but let's, let's move on to the West. Uh, we got OKC San Antonio also tied at two, two, what do you think my, – my first question is, what do you think of OKC going down 2-2 and holding home court? Do you think that that's something that when they look back on the series, win, lose, or draw, that they can sort of build on? Like, oh, we didn't fold, and that might be something that, you know, even a guy like I, – I know obviously the big story is going to be Kevin Durant in the offseason, you know, assuming that they don't go far enough to make it, you know, inevitable that he stays. But do you think that this is the kind of series where they can say, like, okay, we kept up with this this team that's probably better than us, so this is a building block series? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be used that way one way or another. I've already seen articles, you know, saying, well, now Kevin Durant's going to be able to stay because it's like some moral victory. I'm I'm still like, nah, I'm not I'm not good with that. Like, go go win the series because they're playing very good. 
not only that, is I don't think the Spurs are – I think the Spurs are playing well, but, like, the Spurs, for some reason, lately don't seem like they want to, like, kill anyone. Like, I just, just like, get out there, foot on the gas pedal. And I, I don't know if I'm wrong, but I'm almost starting to feel like there's, like, a Portland Trailblazers vibe from before. Like, LaMarcus Aldridge's band of, a brand of basketball almost, to me, seems like it doesn't work. And I know it's ludicrous to say that with these games he's been having, but – it just it's like it's like the uh, the Kawhi and Lamarcus thing because they're kind of similar players and not being overly spoken. I mean Kawhi doesn't say anything, but the, these two are you know they're reserved guys. And I almost wonder if like that playing against KD and Westbrook, who are kind of like these guys who will say anything and they're just out for blood. I feel like it's like it's it's a weird teeter totter thing we have going here with these two teams. And I I feel like the Spurs have kind of gotten lax a little bit. I, maybe I'm crazy, but I, I, I'm gonna stick with the Spurs. Uh, obviously my in five is out the window, but I, I think, I think it's going to go seven, but I'm still sticking with the Spurs and I don't think this, we can build off this thing is, is proper. I, I feel like, you know, they can't rely on that kind of excuse because I feel like teams sometimes do that thing. I think that you really will do two things. I think you really hit the point that, that I wanted to hit, which was, I think OKC has passed the moral victory portion of, of their window here. I don't think that the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook can really get the moral victory kind of storyline going for them anymore. They're at a point where they need to win and it has to be either now or if, if Durant stays, I think it's even like one year because then like Westbrook's deal is, is up after that. So they're just going to have these constant questions, you know, around their team. If, if they don't make a move, you know, pass, you know, the conference finals, pass the finals, win a championship, do something, you know, make a, make a mark. And I think the other thing that you bring up, which is very interesting, and I didn't think about it until you said it, is that sort of move from the San Antonio Spurs of who is, like, the alpha dog. Obviously, we know that Kawhi and LaMarcus are sort of, you know, the one-two punch now. With that transition, we sort of have the mental transition of the team, too, because, like you're saying, both of those guys are really not, like, cutthroat guys on the court or really off the court, and... I, you know, I think you need that, and we're going to – I really want to move on quickly because it's really going to get to what I want to talk about as far as our next topic goes. But I think it's very interesting. I still have the Spurs, but I, I do agree that even long-term, even beyond this series, beyond I think what you're talking about could even just go when Parker and Ginobili and Duncan move on and this team is left in the hands of Kawhi and LaMarcus, where do they go because – I really think that you need that guy, you know, that Draymond Green, which is what I really want to get to. You know, that guy that's just going to put the foot on the throat. Russell Westbrook is another one. I really do think that you need that mentality on your team. And when you're two of your best players, the two guys that you're building your identity on don't have that quality per se, and they're more of like a lead by example here. Let me get, let me get 30 points and show you how it's done. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very interested in how that, that works for your team, if it really hinders your team long-term and, and how that works when you're going against elite competition. Like even a guy like LeBron James, who definitely has that quality, especially in his later years of really trying to put his foot on your throat and, and make you submit. So I, I'm curious what, what you think, you know, do you, do you really know you're thinking about it more? Do you think it's going to hinder them long-term? And also you, you did say you are sticking with the Spurs as well as I am. I also think it's going to go seven games, but that might just be me rooting for it to go seven games. Well, we're always rooting for it to go seven games, but I feel like the way that it's kind of been back and forth, and we've seen both teams kind of do a little bit of what they want to do, but we've also seen both the Spurs and the Thunder 
kind of have to fight against the grain of what the other team wanted to do and still manage to, you know, come out in good shape because there's been good games. So, you know, I I do, but I'm I'm sticking with Okay. So I want to move on. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I didn't didn't answer your, your alpha dog question. Yes, I do absolutely think that, you know, despite the talent of those two, uh, LaMarcus and Kawhi, somebody's got to step up. And it, maybe it would be a, a third party, but somebody's got to step in and, you know, say, I'll punch him in the face and tell him who did it. I'm not running to hide because I feel like uh, LaMarcus Aldridge for a few years now has been a guy who could score 30, 40. He's going to run down the tunnel afterwards because, you know, he doesn't want to explain anything. He doesn't want to have to be like the face and do the talking. I think he's just out there to – Marshawn Lynch, I'm about that right. action, boss. Yeah, Loki, I think that player on this team long-term might be Patty Mills, but I just don't know if he's good enough to really have that sort of, like, lasting power in the role on that team. But my man Patty Mills is about that life. You can't convince me otherwise. But I, I want to move on to, some, to a discussion that we wanted to have. Um, and basically the question is this. It's not who is the better player, because I think most people would agree that the answer is Kawhi Leonard. But who would you want to build your team around? And the, the way I – the reason why I asked a question like that is because, you know, building your team is not only about talent. To me, it's about the uniqueness and not being able to – it's about the, the combination of talent and also, you know, how well this guy fits with other players, which I think both of these guys really kind of have that quality where you can kind of fit them. They don't really need – they're not like a Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony, a guy that we talked about earlier, where you need a very specific kind of player to play with Carmelo Anthony. But let me just ask you the question uh, instead of just prefacing it all the time. Kawhi Leonard or Draymond Green, who is the player that you would pick to build your to build your team? And I know I said the other day that this was really easy, and it was for about you 13 did. seconds, and then I started thinking about it, and it, it became super hard. Like, I, I just I, – I, I wrestled with it even until, like, five minutes leading up to the show. But I'm going to tell you what I did here. Um, I, I'm ultimately – I'm going to say that both of these players – I mean, I'm looking at Kawhi's stuff right now. Kawhi's just – great not it's not just the scoring it's not just the defense because we know that stuff's there we know he can shoot the ball his percentages are great in the playoffs he's shooting 50 percent from the field close to 50 percent from deep and about 84 percent from the free throw line that being said i think that Kawhi is a great leader with what he does the way he does it his demeanor and i think guys do respond to that and guys love that when you're winning basketball games i feel like Kawhi oh. leonard would have a hard time talking, you know, a team who's 20 games out of, you know, realistically contending uh, or a young team. I mean, he's he's been given all these Hall of Famers in, in this coat, in this system. And I'm not taking anything away from Kawhi because I think Kawhi is a fantastic player. But I feel like Draymond Green could talk a mediocre team into being great. And I feel like he's done that to himself. And he's saying all the while, I'm not even supposed to be here. So, that with the things Draymond does on the court, he might not be, like you said, as good of a one-on-one player as uh, Kawhi Leonard. If I was picking the two solely based off of watching them play a one-on-one game, I'm sure Kawhi Leonard wins every time. But Draymond Green's heart and his ability to motivate his team ultimately uh, pushed him over the edge for this this answer for me. I'm so mad at you because when I asked the question, you said it was easy, it was going to take you 10 seconds to decide, and I, I thought you were just going to go on like a two-minute reign of why Kawhi is awesome and, and better than Draymond. And then I had like this whole angle of why Draymond is the guy I wanted to build around because when I asked this question, again, on Facebook, the Sports Overtime Group, and just in general, you know, I just talk sports with everybody, this was an interesting question to me because I know that, that Kawhi is the better player. 
And most people that answered this question really answered it for Kawhi and relatively easily. And I'm not I'm not here to argue like that you shouldn't have Kawhi Leonard on your team. I, I think often in these debates it becomes like, well, here's why Kawhi's trash. And that's not that's not what I want to say. What I want to tell you is that you cannot find another Draymond Green in the league. And I think the uniqueness of not only being – like Ka- Kawhi is a very unique player, but there are players like him. There's two-way guys that play the small forward. It's the most popular, really new position. And I think as years progress, you're going to see a lot of guys like Kawhi Leonard. You can find another Kawhi Leonard. Maybe not exactly. Maybe he can't give you 100% of what Kawhi gives you, but he can give you 85%. He can give you 90%. I'm thinking a guy like – even Paul George is, is probably a good example of somebody that can give you 90%. Um, even like a Pete Chandler Parsons, I think, is, is a kind of guy that can give you maybe 75% of what Kawhi Leonard gives you. And for that reason, I think the uniqueness of a guy like Draymond that can play center, that is the defensive intensity on your team, and that you know can stretch the line and everything that he brings to the table, the emotion which you got into, I think that's why I would rather have Draymond on my team and then just build from there. Um, and that's how we're going to leave it. I want to move on to the end of the show. Um, Andy Flint, every every week somebody needs more people in the NBA. Uh, like Jay-Z once said, we don't believe you need more people. Really quickly, who needed more people this week? I'm bringing up old stuff, and Steph winning the MVP unanimously makes me want to yell at Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe. Yes, the guy who snubbed LeBron a few years back and voted for Carmelo Anthony. That is all. You need more people. <laughs> I'm going with a more recent example, Kyle Lowry. We trash you all show. It's time to end with some more sanitation on you. It's bad enough that you disappeared for most of the second round. You've gotten the Darren Williams milk carton meme treatment, but you flopped against a basketball. You literally flopped against the basketball when it hit you in the face. I can't wait until Lowry meets his ultimate destiny and becomes a clipper so he can flop and whine all year with people just like him. And with that, that is the end of our show for this week. Join us next week as we continue our journey around the NBA. Make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at NLP Podcast to watch us live tweet meaningless summer league games. We will close, as we always do, with the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last call at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night. <laughs>